This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, June 19, 2014. I'm Caleb Brown. The U.S. Patent and Trademark Office says the Washington Redskins shouldn't get to keep their trademark name because they call it disparaging. What might this mean for free speech and intellectual property more broadly? Walter Olson, a senior fellow at the Cato Institute, weighs in. The Patent and Trademark Office is seeing this controversy uh, for the second time. This is uh, a set of lawsuits that's been going on for more than 20 years. And the Trademark Act of 1946 provides that the trademark registration should be canceled uh, if it, uh, quote, may disparage or falsely suggest a connection with persons living or dead, institutions, beliefs, or national symbols, or bring them into contempt or disrepute, unquote. And what this means is not entirely clear, uh, but uh, more than 20 years ago, one group of Native Americans sued saying that the name of the Washington Redskins team was unduly disparaging, brought Native Americans into disrepute. And they won on the substance the first time. This is the second time that the Patent and Trademark Office has ruled uh, to cancel the trademarks. But it went up to uh, an appeals court and the football team won because of what it can only be called a technicality, lack of standing on the part of the particular people who were suing, which they could have fixed if they had seen the problem coming. So they went back, got a group of people who unquestionably did have standing, and it has taken till now for that proceeding to reach a decision, uh, which is, once again, uh, the Patent and Trademark Office has uh, canceled the, the trademarks. The issue here, this is whether or not you view the word redskins as uh, derogatory uh, or a diminishment of a particular group of people, there has to be some recognition for the ability of individuals to use offensive words in in their uh, branding or marketing. It, it, it seems to be that the, that the market might ought to have a, a a proper role in determining what brands survive and which ones don't. Several issues here. One is what they will enforce as a trademark is different from a speech issue as such. Now, whether it should be different is another question. But they've set things up and we can go back and ask, uh, did it make sense for them to set it up this way? They've set it up so that uh, they will put the power of the federal government behind enforcing trademarks um, uh, only for trademarks that are not in some sense bad, unquote, and who knows what they mean by bad. Uh, Not that you can't sell the goods and the uh, board made very clear that they were not preventing the team from selling any merchandise that it felt like, but uh, they would... uh, With a canceled trademark, what happens is that um, you can no longer use federal trademark law on your behalf. Now, there uh, are still some ways in which they could go after uh, counterfeit or pirate uh, redskins caps or garments. Uh, There are some state common law uh, suits they could file, for example. But uh, especially in sports licensing, uh, which is so dependent on uh, making chief stu- stuff in Asia and bringing it over, uh, actually the most important remedy is to be able to stop the imports. Uh, this is a many-sided libertarian issue because it's actually um, very much a matter of uh, ca- uh, do they have strong federal law that will uh, enable them to rummage around in people's shipping containers. And that's what trademark law does. Uh, they don't want to fall back 
back on common lawsuits uh, once the goods are already being hawked on the streets of Washington, D.C. So you have to ask, uh, why did they in 1946 say, uh, we will provide this extra level of strong federal protection for some intellectual property rights, but only ones that we kind of like, uh, ones that we don't think will upset people too much because they didn't have in mind this particular controversy. Uh, if you look at the controversies that have come up over the years, they come from a bunch of different directions. Notice that in the original direction, uh, language of the law, uh, they showed an interest in uh, dead people and national national symbols, you know, were people going to be using uh, Abraham Lincoln, uh, you know, to hawk a product that he probably would have disapproved of? Were they going to be um, using the symbolism of the American flag to, uh, uh, you know, pu push things that some citizens do don't agree with? Uh, but it, they included in there uh, uh, groups of people and institutions and beliefs. So in fact, some of the complaints of disparagement over the years have come from uh, religious and political bodies. Uh, th there have been complaints from uh, followers of various religions that their saints or founders were brought in as product symbols, and that's very undignified. Uh, there was a complaint. Someone was trying to trademark a hammer and sickle with a, a slash through it, no communism. And I guess it must have been communists stepped forward and said, this disparages us as a group communist Americans. Um, it is uh, strangely double-sided, and you have to wonder what the federal government's doing making these distinctions in the first place. Before we started recording, you gave me a joking reference, I think specifically for me, that, that Quaker Oats would possibly because if it's a, a disparagement or any kind or if it's an undue association – it's not the legal standard that it only takes one person to be offended. On the other hand, it's also not the legal standard that it takes a majority of the members of the group to be offended. Uh, they actually have a legal doctrine on this, which is a, if a substantial composite, quote unquote, of the people in the uh, racial group, religious group, uh, philosophical group or whatever, if, if a substantial composite of people uh, believe that there is uh, disrepute or confusion or uh, whatever then you have disparagement. Now, the example I gave was uh, people joke about Quaker Oats and would William Penn actually have approved? Um, you know, are uh, people who are serious about Quakerism uh, really happy at the idea that it's used to hawk breakfast cereal? Um, and it's not all that different from some of the cases that have come up. Uh, the use of Buddha as an attempted trademark on bathing suits, for example. And one of the lessons, uh, and you can see it uh, in the Washington Redskins example, is that uh, what's considered offensive and what's considered acceptable language changes over time. Uh, that's just a fact of life. And uh, <coughs> Uh, Charles Crodhammer, writing about this, has pointed out that uh, we know that a lot of other language for other racial groups that was considered perfectly okay by our grandparents uh, stopped being considered perfectly okay. And again, uh, <coughs> the law does not say freeze everything in its 1946 form. It, it, it says uh, uh, it, it leaves it open to uh, the fact that language changes. So uh, what is going to happen when people get touchier. That seems to be the uh, arc of history, doesn't it? Uh, people getting touchier and touchier, uh, things that now seem okay, and in which perhaps 
hundreds of millions or billions of dollars of intellectual property rest uh, stop being acceptable to our kids. I think a lot of people's minds probably, when I say a lot of people, I mean me specifically, are, are would look at this case and think, what are the implications that this would have for other forms of intellectual property? Can any clear lines be drawn between this and patents and uh, to copyright? This is very specific to trademark law. So it does not have immediate implications for either copyright or patent law. And because it is statutory only, it's not a constitutional doctrine, uh, we could tinker with it, we could fix it. Uh, people on the more liberal side who were afraid that they would not get this ruling from the PTO, uh, in fact, were supporting a bill in Congress that would uh, rather disturbingly, carve out Native Americans specifically for insult protection. Now there, I think, uh, you know, if, if there are problems with the original disparagement doctrine, then making it explicitly asymmetrical and giving some groups more protection you know, make the problems much, much worse. Nonetheless, if you believe that disparagement um, somehow or other belongs in the law, then you could always change the definition uh, or make it uh, more specific so that you knew how cases would come out before you invested a fortune in trying to build up a trade. Uh, on the other hand, libertarians who believe that disparagement is kind of a dubious concept and that it should try to track property rights uh, could also file legislation saying, look, uh, Trademark is supposed to be about likelihood of confusion to the extent that it's legitimate. It's kind of a pre-fraud preventative to, to keep company A from passing off its products as company B, as if it were company B. Uh, and that's uh, – disparagement isn't obviously relevant to that. It sounds more – yeah, that, that, that seems in a, like an appropriate standard that is confusion. Uh, and if people don't like the brand, there's a pretty easy way to deal with that. Well, if people don't like the brand, uh, they will not buy it. They will shun those who sell it. And of course, one of the ironies of the ruling from the Patent and Trademark Office is that uh, they just made it legal for anyone to make Redskins merchandise. So we may see more of it. Walter Olson is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. He blogs at overlawyer.com and cato.org.